Hello and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website and I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Sidekick. We're going to discuss the squad that Stephen Kelly announced to take on Portugal and Luxembourg. The under-21 squad was also announced. They're facing Sweden and Italy at a capacity Tata Stadium for the first time. And uh, a new jersey has just been launched that will be worn for the first time against Luxembourg in a, a week's time. Lots to talk about, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. No, looking forward to the coming days, see how things will go. Yep. Okay, let's get straight into it with the senior international squad that was announced. 26-man squad, which is slightly larger than uh, I think Stephen Kenny has named in the past. But I think, yeah, after a year and a half in the job, uh, we're starting to see a, a degree of normality uh, emerge in the squad. For the most part, it picked itself. I think there are minor quibbles about one or two players that might be on the fringes of the squad, Mark. But I'm largely happy with it. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I kind of mentioned on my blog, consistency. And it's you're, you're kind of seeing with Stephen Kenny and the management here, placing their trust and loyalty to the core of the squad, really, to be honest. I mean, you know, it was good to see Alan Brown back, Jason Lumby back from suspension, Seamus Coleman comes back in um, after injury. I suppose the big kind of talking point here, and maybe we'll talk about it, is about Aaron Connolly and the version of events that kind of led to his exclusion. Is it the injured heel? Is it more than that? Regular first-name football, but apart from Aaron Connolly um, not being in the squad, I think overall, I think the squad kind of picked itself, given the performances in the recent kind of uh, qualification campaign fixtures. I have to agree with that. Maybe in each position, you could probably name one player that we were surprised to be omitted. Well, maybe not surprised, but could be on the, the, the verge of a call-up. Uh, I know I keep beating the drum for Sean McDermott at uh, Christiansen, but it's it's hard to argue against any of the three goalkeepers included in the squad. Gambazuno has definitely established himself as number one. Cuevin Kelleher is probably second choice. And Mark Travers, despite playing at a higher level than Bazuno and playing far more regularly than Kelleher has, is probably the third choice. In defence, Kieran Clark at Newcastle, I was slightly surprised to see he, w- he was omitted. Uh, Stephen Kenny did say when the last squad was announced uh, a month ago that they were looking at the November window to bring Clark back into the squad. And well, the November window is here, but he's still kicking his heels at St. James's Park while... Duffy, Egan and Omar Bamadeli will be starting against uh, Ronaldo and co. Uh, Stephen Kenny did say before that uh, John Egan is vital to how he wants this Ireland team to play. And as uh, a left-sided central defender, he's probably the player that's keeping Clark out of the team. Glad to see Seamus Coleman back in the side. He brings a lot to the team. I think he's, he's a genuine Premier League class talent. But more than that, uh, he's a leader on the pitch. He's not going to let anyone's performance slip. Kenny has said that he's probably only going to play one of the two games. And I'd imagine that would be the Portugal game. And then we'll see Matt Doherty slip into that right-sided wing-back role against Luxembourg. But this is a defence that kept two clean sheets in the last two games. Uh, Has only conceded two in the last four. We are facing... One of the best strikers in world football right now, and that Portuguese squad is absolutely littered with talent. 
it's going to be a tough night for the defence in Aviva Stadium on the, the night of the 11th mark. But as we saw in Faro, we're capable of getting a result against them. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, we're going to have significant periods without the ball. I mean, it's going to be very much like the Faro game where we look to sit, you know, keep compact, keep well organised defensively. Yeah, the Portuguese squad, you know, they have brought back Renato Sanchez and Gel Felix, who weren't in contention for that Portuguese game. But yeah, I'd be quite confident here, Joel. Uh, the only concern I would have is lack of game minutes for a few of the, our probably our starters against Portugal. Like Matt Doherty hasn't played any first team football really. We've talked of notes since the internationals. Same with Adam Ida as well. Callum Robinson as well came back to West Bromwich Albion then suddenly found himself behind Jordan Ugal. Um So he's gotten these cameo roles off the bench. So just a little bit concerned, a little bit maybe in form fitness of a few of those guys, you know, might be impacted. But going back to the Portuguese game, we did show in Faro that we're well capable of exploiting um, the gaps that Portuguese in the field will give, you know. Um, and in all honesty here, Joe, all the pressure's on Portugal here. Uh, next Thursday night. It's not any uh, for Robert Farland. We're essentially playing spoiler here. You know, if we keep compact, 40, 50 minutes gone, Portugal may do, do something pretty stupid here and we get a goal and then, you know, they may lose their heads. Like, it's a, it's a big, big game for Portugal. I mean, they have to get three points out of our out of this fixture in Aviva. And I mean, full crowd, anything I think is possible. I mean, if you talked to me six months ago, I would have thought, oh, probably not, but the way the side has evolved, I know we're talking about Azerbaijan and Qatar, but it, you could see the confidence levels are steadily rising here. And I mean, if they can be defensively disciplined, um, no reason why we can't catch Portugal on a set piece or on a break a breakaway, because we do have the players capable of doing that. We have to remember as well that Portugal still have to face Serbia in their final game, the same night that we play Luxembourg, with top spot in, in Group A still up for grabs. Serbia are currently top of the table with 17 points from their five games and are unbeaten. Portugal just behind them with 16 points from their six games. So the the team, they're still looking to top the group. They don't want to go through the lottery of the playoffs. And Serbia will know what we're like, what we can do at home. We're able to force a draw uh, against them in September. And they will be hoping that we can do the same to, to Portugal. Uh, leaving it all to play for in the the final game in Lisbon uh, on the on the fourteenth. Now in in midfield and up front, it looks like a very settled selection. I did think that there was a chance that Conor Ronan could be called into the side. He's done extremely well since uh, going out on loan again to St Mirren. He scored an absolutely phenomenal goal against Rangers. Indeed, yeah. Uh, as well as his experience of working with Stephen Kenny as uh, under twenty one level. Um, and when you look at the recent first team experiences of players like maybe Conor Horan, you might think that uh, he was in with a chance of his first call up to the the senior side. I'd agree with you there, uh, Joe. Um, getting record game minutes at Saint Marin. again. It was a wonder goal against Glasgow Rangers, wasn't it? So, I mean, it's not as if Stephen Kennedy doesn't know the player, he knows him inside out. Maybe he's kind of maybe viewing him to the Nations League because he has said in. Previous press conference, Stephen Kenny, that you felt that maybe Ronan is, you know, he's on the periphery, but not quite ready yet to make that step up to senior. But again, the Nations League, at the end of the qualification campaign here, surely it's the time for Stephen Kenny, Keith Andrews and the rest of the management staff to bring him in and see what he's about. So again, 
two wins, you know, in the last two games. You seen Kenny and the manager weren't going to really change things up and really with the fact that Jason Malumbi and also Alan Brown have been kind of pre ever present squad members. I think, you know, either one of them dropping for Conor Ronan probably would have been a contentious call I would have thought. So he's just keeping a consistency, I would think, Joe. And, you know, we're two games out from the end of the qualification campaign. So he's not looking to rock the boat here. Yeah, and he did make the point that he has introduced a number of players uh, across the campaign and the Nations League campaign. So, yeah, we I, it's probably not, you know, the last two games aren't really the time to bring in... Uh, or to integrate a new player into the squad. Um, having said that, uh, up front, uh, Will Keane has kept his place in the squad. He's done well uh, since his eligibility for the Irish national side was confirmed. Unfortunately, yeah, he did pick up an unfortunate knock uh, during the last international window, which meant that he wasn't able to take his place on the bench in either game against Azerbaijan or Qatar. But I would be interested in seeing what he can do against Luxembourg. I, no disrespect intended to the player. I don't think he's up to the challenge of of facing uh, Ruben Diaz in Aviva Stadium. But I think he's a, he's a useful option uh, and he's been scoring fairly regularly for uh, Wigan this season, you know, linking up with James McLean, who's uh, recently passed 100 appearances for the Latics. As we said in one, in a recent episode of the podcast, the manager does seem to see him as a, as a target man, as a link player between midfield and whoever is playing as a lone striker. So we could see him line up maybe beside, uh, Callum Robinson behind Alameda in Luxembourg in a, in a week's time. But, uh, as I said right at the very beginning, overall, I'm satisfied with the squad. There are some minor quibbles there, but I think there's always minor quibbles. And I think this is this is the result of the work that's been put in by the management team over the last 18 months or so. Yeah, I certainly agree there, Joe, on that point. We're seeing consistent squad selection. I mean, you could say you can argue about Stephen Kenny's start for his era as a Republic of Ireland senior manager. He's been very much um, debilitated by COVID-19 and regular withdrawals and all that drama. He is now getting in the last four to five months consistency. I felt that summer trip, Andorra, Hungary, I thought that was huge. You know, literally had guys, you know, for the 10-day period to kind of really enforce his ethos, vision on the team and to run the rule over players. And that is coming to fruition now. I mean, it's a big test that next Thursday night. I think it's a real kind of hallmark for his tenure, I would think, of how far we've got come. I mean, we've got a result against Serbia at home. This is really the one where we need to really kind of evaluate where we are. But then going back to Will Keane, obviously they see an awful lot in the player. James McLean as well, we've kind of mentioned, you know, that understanding, that link-up play uh, between McLean and Will Keane has been pretty good uh, this season in League One. And again, it could be an option, Joe, you know, last five, ten minutes, he may be asked to do a job, you know, literally get on a end of a cross or something like that if we needed a goal. But I think the Luxembourg game is the key one for us. It's our cup final. I think we need to finish third in this group, really. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I think consistency has been the word here. Um, so, look, all good. I'm looking forward to next week immensely, to be honest. The same night that we play Portugal, Luxembourg will be away to Azerbaijan uh, in, in Baku. We won there 3-0 a month ago. Luxembourg, away from home, Luxembourg have only managed to win one game, which, of course, is the game in Aviva Stadium. 
should they come away from uh, Azerbaijan with three points, I think that's going to add a little bit more pressure to that uh, final game in Luxembourg for Stephen Kenny. You know, we said at the time that the 1-0 loss back in March was the worst home defeat, certainly in our lifetimes and possibly ever. And I don't like using revenge as a factor for, you know, uh, in the build-up to a, a, a fixture, but there has to be an element of that in this game, I think. There has to be an element of restoring pride. We started out with out in the qualifying group, realistically expecting to finish third and with a chance of punching for second. And now, as, as things stands, we're fourth and punching for third. I'd be happy with, with finishing third, given the progress that we've seen in the last few games. Yeah, definitely, from where we started. I think it would be uh, not a bad return if we could finish third. Now, Luxembourg's form has really kind of dropped, I would think, significantly since that win uh, in Dublin. Teams have, I think, dare I say, found them out a bit. Granted, now they're travelling to Baku, and to be honest with you, Azerbaijan will be wondering the mentality of the squad in the Azerbaijan camp after a pretty torrid campaign, but could be the opportunity for that Italian head coach to maybe save his job with maybe a result against Luxembourg. So, yeah, I mean, we, we need to kind of focus on one game at a time, focus in on performances, and let's see how we go. But it would be nice, I think, third place. Um, we're well capable of beating Luxembourg, I think, given our upturn in form. But, yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, hopefully the players you know, are not too inhibited when we go to Luxembourg straight after the Portugal game, the, the kind of the, the effects of playing Portugal, that'll be a serious, serious fixture. Um, just tired legs, stuff like that. And I wonder if Stephen Kenny will try to freshen it up a little bit in Luxembourg, as you say. But third place overall, I think, would be a, quite a good achievement for Stephen Kenny, just given the context, how we started the group and maybe the instability in the squad at the start. You know, just given COVID-19, we seem to be massively affected by COVID-19 compared to other international countries. So I'd happily take it right now if you give it to me. Yeah, and I imagine the, the manager will be happy with finishing in third spot as well. As well as the senior international team, the uh, Jim Crawford, the under-21 manager, announced uh, his squad to face Italy and Sweden in Tallis Stadium. Uh, facing uh, Italy first on the 12th, followed by Sweden on the following Tuesday night, the 16th. The under-21 qualification campaign has gotten off to a fairly rough start. And at the beginning, we had hoped that the the team could definitely finish in the top two, whereas now it kind of looks like and challenge one of Italy or Sweden for the playoff position. But now it looks like they're going to need at least three points and possibly all six from these two games to have any chances of qualification. As with previous under-21 campaigns, they've been slightly hamstrung by the fact that players that would be definitely starting for them are included in the the senior national side. And, you know, they're, they're facing top seeds, Italy, and a very strong Sweden side. Mark, what do you think those chances are of getting a result in either game? I mean, it's a tall order, just given how the group has started. I mean, I think the Macedonia game long term will have, the players and management will have learned so much from that. I don't think the focus, you know, there's an awful lot of attention in terms of Macedonia being on that um, exclusion list 
with COVID-19, stuff like that. I think that got into players' heads and management's heads because the, the first half was just a very poor performance. Um, but we're back against the wall now. I mean, with home ties against Italy and Sweden, we need to come out and, uh, you know, produce a, a performance. And I think it's great to see the likes of Will Smallbone back, um, Festi Ibuzeli from Derby County. Um, and as well as that, we see Armstrong Okofex, who we've been raving about in this podcast recent weeks. He started the season with West Ham ever so well. Um, and we definitely need these guys in uh, to really kind of, um, you know, increase the competition for places in the squad. To be honest, the Italian game looks pretty daunting. Um, Italy's underage t- sides are always top-notch, technically very gifted. Again, we're it's very similar to the senior side against Portugal. We're going to have to absorb an awful lot of Italian possession as really what we do with the limited possession that we have here. And, you know, I think our midfield is pretty tidy with Coventry, Kilkenny, Smallbone, particularly Ross Tierney is probably going to be featuring here, but Dawson uh, Defoy. I mean, the midfield is going to be so important for us. Um, but if we can get a result, even a, I think a draw against Italy, and Sweden are always competitive. But we've had, you know, Ireland and Sweden have had a good 50-50 record. So I think that is definitely kind of one where we definitely need three points because conceivably I think Sweden will be our closest challenger. I think Italy will top the group. But it's Sweden really is going to be our chief challenger, I think, in second spot. So definitely we need a result, three points against Sweden. And don't get beat against Italy, which is going to be a tall order. But again, the, the players know, I think they know there's no mistake here. Is it requ- you know, they can't make this mistake here. Can't make any more slip-ups. Otherwise, I think uh, our campaign is over. Yeah, uh, with only seven points from our first four games, um, despite having plays, despite having played Luxembourg and Montenegro games where you think we take away all six points, we've only managed to get one, a draw against Luxembourg in Dudelang, follows a month later by uh, a loss in Podgorica. Again, I think it's been a kind of learning curve as well. Like even the Lange, the fixture in Luxembourg, you know, we controlled for long periods of that game, didn't put the game to bed, and then there's a penalty, you know, literally laps of concentration. I mean, from an under-21 perspective, you need players, dare I say, to be learning from those mistakes. Uh, you know, that this is international football and these things happen, but it's for the players to kind of regroup, bounce back um, is the key. So I think it's been a difficult start. But, again, the, the squad is pretty much fairly kind of consistent here. Um, you know, and given the players that are in the senior squad, that would have been in the under-21s, I think. You know, it's a chance for these guys to really impress. So, look, it's been a difficult curve. But for under-21s, I want to see kind of progression here. I want to see players that are going to take the ball, take leadership, particularly in these next two games. So it'll be very interesting to see who really steps up to the plate. Yeah, since the last time the under-21s have played, uh, Ryan Johansson has gone t- to make his first-team debut in in the Netherlands for Fortuna Seatard. Uh, just today, Jacob Ryan signed a, a new contract with Crystal Palace, so we're hoping that he can progress from their under-23s into the, the senior team. And as you say, Armstrong Okovex is, is, is a huge addition for the side. There's definitely goals in the team, but you know, you're, you're looking at uh, the defence and um and goalkeepers and you know the Brian Maher, David Odomuso at Drahada and Luke McNicholas, who's with Sligo but he's out on loan at the moment with Cliftonville. Um and 
Brian Maher seems to be the first choice goalkeeper. I've seen him play a few times for Bray. I've seen him play against JD United at the Carlisle grounds and I've seen him for the under-21s. And you'd have to imagine that if Gavin Bazunu was available for the under-21s, he would be the starting goalkeeper. They're going to find it very tough. And that's that's probably an, even an understatement. You look across the Italian and Swedish squads and the teams that they're with, and I, I don't know if there's anybody uh, of comparable talent in the, the Ireland under-21 team. It could make a difference that they'll be playing in front of a capacity crowd at Tata Stadium for the first time. But if things don't go well in that first game against Italy, if if we don't come out of that first game against Italy with at least a point, um, I'd fear for them in, in the second game against Sweden. Uh, it could be it could result in them being completely demoralised, and you know the, the end result would be that they'll be qualifying campaign will be over uh, even before it's halfway through. Yeah, it's good. Again, it's great to see that it's going to be full house in Tala uh, for those fixtures. So, look, all we can hope for here is that, you know, the side that's selected here um, performs, you know, is defensive compact. I do like Jacob Bryan an awful lot in terms of central defence. Seeing quite a few of his games now in the under-21s, I don't think he's put a foot wrong, really. Very, very physical player, but very good with his bald feet, like so. Who's, which is pretty essential in the modern day. Um, again, I'm not losing soap here. I think these are big challenges. It'll focus the minds of an awful lot of these players, you know, with the with the, the, the fixtures that are coming up. These are defining fixtures, I'd say, that the under-21 squad would have seen these fixtures as, look, we have to be on our game here. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful of four points here. But again, as I said, Joe, that Italian game is going to be the key if we... You know, if the performance isn't right, we're not going to get a result. And, yeah, it's the long-term effects then, you know. We want to see players develop from the under-21s here to give a bit of a problem and a headache for Stephen Kenny in the senior squad, particularly with Nations League coming along, particularly with the European qualifiers. We're looking for that next group of players in under-21s to come into that senior squad. I'm just intrigued to see who comes in, who puts the hand up, who's the real leader, who's going to provide that quality that we kind of say, yes, this guy is going to be destined for our senior squad. So that's all the fascinating subplots here. I think the results take care of themselves, uh, provided that we have a good performance on both games. The under-19s will also kick off their qualifying campaign for the 2022 championships. But uh, as we record, the squad hasn't been announced just yet. They have a tough group. They'll be facing the host, Bulgaria, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Montenegro with the top two qualifying for the elite round and they have a chance of going through as a third place team if they're they are the third place team but in a group that's as strong as it looks on paper the chances of going through as that best third place side aren't great at the moment I think they can take heart from the from the under 17s qualifying campaign that was held in Cork they qualified at the top of their group and will go through to the elite qualifying round next year now, it was announced today that uh, Rude Doctor, uh, the FBI's uh, high-performance director, will be stepping down. And I think some of these results and some of the players that we're seeing emerge at underage level is as a result of the changes that the Dutchman has brought in since he started working with the, the FBI in uh, April 2013. The thing about working with underage or setting up the, the plans and the paths to the senior team that 
you know, have been worked on since he was brought into the FAI is that it takes a long time for you to see the results. It doesn't matter if you have a perfect plan on the first day you start. It can take up to 10 years for it to start to see fruition when you start working with a 10-year-old. And, you know, it would take 10 years maybe for him to, to get into the, the senior setup. But we're starting to see at underage level, at under-17, you know, that that under-17 team was able to put out a starting 11 where none of them were based in England, which is the first time that's, that's happened in a very long time at any level for uh, an Irish team. We're seeing players like Evan Ferguson, who's scored his first goal in senior football this week when he scored in the FA Trophy for Brighton's under-23 side. The debate will rage whether or not Root Doctor was a good addition or a good appointment by the FAI, but I think making any judgment right now is uh, is unfair on the man because it 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 will still be another few years before we see the products of the the changes that he's made uh, while he's been working with the National Association. Yeah, certainly, Joel. I mean, when the news came today, I mean, John Delaney appointment. But besides that, it's to be honest, he has had an awful lot of influence. You know, he's tried to be progressive in terms of the schoolboy league structures, looking to really kind of build a continental European schoolboy-based kind of format, where instead of 11 sides, to reduce it to 9 sides, to develop the skill set, the enjoyment of the game to the schoolboy leagues. Now, granted, <laughs> an awful lot of schoolboy district leagues have kind of reared up and a bit of resistance there, but... Legacy-wise, I suppose the coaching educational program is probably one that stands out. You see the number of coaches now getting accreditation. I think Doctor has been kind of a key kind of component of that. Also, I think he was probably prominent, a very prominent supporter of Virapel uh, on the the, uh, the women's senior management. You know, looking to go outside to get a, a women's senior national coach uh, for sure. And do I recall? Did he actually step in with Noel King after Trapattoni got sacked briefly? I think there was an interim. There was an interim where his name was mentioned that he was kind of working behind the scenes once Giovanni Trapattoni was sacked. But I mean, legacy-wise, I think, as you say, Joe, quite rightly, we're just in the middle, you know, midstream of his program. And again, like any agile business transformation, you know, initiative. It's going to take quite a time to see the full fruits of labour. I mean, he leaves with an awful lot of coaching structures in place, and whoever his successor is has a good solid base to start from. Now, granted, they do still have obstacles in the way to maybe fully implementing an awful lot of the other programmes that Dr. wanted here, but I think overall you have to say that he's done a good job. Uh, for the FEI, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's been hired in Holland or in continental Europe on a similar role. So, all good, I think, from my perspective. And he was involved in the process that eventually saw Martin O'Neill identified as the as Giovanni Trapattoni's successor. I think it's going to be another few years before we see the the results of the work that Root Doctor has put in. I was surprised to see him step down. He has been with the, the national side for, for about eight years now, so uh, I thought that he would want to see the end results of the changes that he's made. But, you know, there could be a lot of other factors that we're not considering. He is Dutch. It's a possibility he wants to return home to work in the Netherlands. We've seen that 
some of the high profile directors of football like Mark Overmars have been linked with jobs across Europe and maybe he has something lined up in the, the area of Izzy. But uh, wherever he goes and wherever uh, wherever he goes and wherever he works for next, um, you know, I would like to thank him for the work that he has put in for the association and I wish him well with his next position wherever it might be. Absolutely. You're here. Okay. Uh, and finally, the FAI and Umbro today announced a new uh, away strip that will be worn for the first time in Luxembourg. Uh, it harkens back to the, I don't want to say classic jersey, but maybe uh, unforgettable jersey that was worn twice, uh, most memorably against Macedonia. And when the teaser images were released during the week, the first thing that leapt perhaps to people's minds was Jason McIntyre drop-kicking uh, an unfortunate player uh, in that infamous qualifier. When the first images of the jersey came out, my reaction was pretty much the same as it has been to all away jerseys. It's okay, but I'm not going to buy it. don't know if we have many gamers in our audience, but the first thing that leapt to my mind was the boss character from Cuphead, Cy Carrot. I just saw the the orange with the little kind of green across the shoulders. It just reminded me of the that's, uh, that difficult end-of-level boss. Yeah, no. Granted, I'm kind of my body is almost like a second-row uh, rugby player. I think if I was ever wearing that around Galway, I think I'd be well recognised anyway. I don't think I'll be buying it. Maybe the blue centen- uh, commemorative uh, jersey that was worn in the last, that was class. But yeah, orange for me might be a step too far. When I heard, when I saw it, I thought immediately of Jason McIntyre sending off in Scopia. It, it just immediately, you know, so hopefully we don't have the same look when we use that jersey when we, we did in Scopia that day when we lost 3-2. Um, but again, it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting to see that you know the men's side don't have a kind of a chief sponsor, while uh, the women's senior side obviously do at Sky. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, lead up to Christmas market, you know, markets here, so looking to get a bit of revenue stream. Look, you have to kind of it's it's part of the course, really. But no, from my perspective, no, I'll probably pass on the, that jersey. Thanks very much. Yeah, I did like the the blue jersey that we wore for the centenary game uh, in Aviva Stadium a month ago and now we don't know what stage of development the the newly released jersey was in uh, when we saw that the players line up uh, in that royal blue given some of their reactions to that jersey you thought that maybe it would have been fast tracked as the as the away strip if I can I'd like to give a, a plug to Orga Retrowear they do a really nice retro jersey in that same uh, royal blue style with the the, the classic logo. Uh, so uh, look them up at Orga Retro on on Twitter. Maybe mention that we sent you for. Well, it's not gonna, they're not going to give you any discounts. But just mention that we sent you anyway. <laughs> I'd like to thank Mark for joining me to discuss the senior squad announced by Stephen Kenny, the under twenty one setup, the news about Root Doctors is leaving, and the new jersey uh, that was announced. Unfortunately. I won't be available to discuss the results of the two games, the two qualifiers next week, because I'm getting married and we'll be off in the, uh, following that. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Hawkeye Psychic. You can follow me at Irish Abroad. I think the next time we speak, we'll be doing an end of year review, looking back at the quali- qualification campaign for the 
2022 World Cup as a whole and looking forward to the Nations League campaign that will start in the new year. Best of luck in it, Joe. Uh, the, the wedding bells select your proverbial cup final uh, next week. So, all the best. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll chat after your honeymoon. We will. We will. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.